I think like these places, they aren't meant to be talked about. They're meant to be experienced. So go out there and make a plan as much as you can because we had a lot of unknowns, but we planned as much as we could. And it didn't go according to our plan, but it went well. Welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. That was my friend Connor. I'm Patrick, and I'm still your host. Connor's reflection there reminded me of one of my favorite Edward Abbey quotes. Uh, This is from Desert Solitaire. And if you haven't read Desert Solitaire, I would put it on your reading list. Um, I've read it, I don't know, many times. And it is... It's essentially the Bible of the desert. You know, it's just very well rented. But Edward Abbey says, you can't see anything from a car. You got to get out of the goddamn contraption and walk. Better yet, crawl on hands and knees over the sandstone and through the thorn bush and cactus. When traces of blood begin to mark your trail, you'll see something. Maybe. The last two years, Connor and I have gone out to Big Bend in February. Uh, It is both of our birth months, and uh, I like to call it our Big Bend birthday bash weekend. Um, Last year, we did a a podcast. It was called Bikepacking Basics. It's episode number 64, I believe. On that episode, we basically just answer a bunch of uh, questions from from the listeners, but we use that trip as the backdrop. Um, and that that route that we initially did last year was called, well, we created it uh, <laughs> and we called it the Rio Revival. And it's kind of designed to be a more laid back approach to Big Bend. Um, there are some epic routes currently published and um they're they're challenging to be honest and actually a park ranger from the national park uh commented on uh one of the routes over on bikepacking.com and implored people to be more cautious when entering the backcountry especially in big bend and uh they were I think having to rescue uh, quite a few people who were just getting in over their heads. And so, you know, initially I was like, there needs to be a, a more laid back, a little bit easier way to um, to appreciate and experience Big Ben without getting too far in your head or over your head. So last year we did uh, this Rio Revival route which incorporated a couple of hikes, one being up to the Mariscal Mine, which is just like a mile, mile and a half hike, um, up to an old abandoned Quicksilver mine uh, that was in operation from 1900 to 1942. And it's super cool. It's definitely worth checking out. But then the next hike we did was up to the top of Mariscal Canyon. And uh, this year, Kind of the neat thing is, was we did a similar route, but um, instead of hiking up to Mariscal Canyon, we brought our pack rafts and we floated 10 miles through Mariscal Canyon, getting the exact inverse experience from our trip last year. And these last two trips have just given me a greater understanding and appreciation uh, for this area. And while I'm no Edward Abbey, I have gotten out of my car, I have worked, I have sacrificed, and I have bled for Big Bend, and I think I've seen some things. And uh, on this episode, we're going to share with you uh, our experiences on this trip, some of the things we learned, and uh, take you along for the ride. It's uh, It was an epic trip, 
and I can't wait to share it with you. I also want to encourage you that if you would like to learn more about um, either of these trips that we did last year or this year, if you go to bikesfordeath.com, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna publish both of those routes in the show notes or on the blog post for this episode. Uh, so just find that on uh, bikesfordeath.com. The routes will be there along with a uh, historical companion. I almost forgot to mention that, but Connor is an impressive young man and he put together a very nice um, historical companion that would kind of go along with both of these routes. And it just talks a lot about the history, the first people to come in to that area there's stuff about the Comanche Trail. It's chock full of historical information that that's available to us. And, you know, Connor was the first to admit that it was difficult to find actual accounts that you could cite and, um, and know were accurate. Um, but he's done a really good job of going through and providing some really neat historical information about that area, which is something that... You know, I talk about on this podcast is not just going and visiting an area, but, you know, trying to immerse yourself in it, learning about the history or the geology or the flora and fauna. Yeah, don't just go and ride your damn bike, but learn something too. And uh, it'll give you a greater appreciation for the places that you are when you understand the people that came before you. I think that's about it. But, um, both of these routes are ones that uh, Connor and I would like to develop more fully. And what I mean by that is um, hopefully get them over to bikepacking.com and have them published with all of the route details and information. But until then, like I said, the routes are up on uh, bikesordeath.com and you can always reach out to me if you have any questions before um, going out into the desert. But another great resource before you email me is to check out this episode and uh, and even episode 64 um, because we try to provide information about this area because it can be challenging and we want to make it more accessible um, to people. Not easy, but a little more accessible. All right, well, before we get to today's episode, let's take a moment to show our appreciation for everyone who made this episode possible, starting with our newest patrons. This week, we'd like to welcome David Val, Andrew Pledger, Alfred Law, and Harrison Schatzbarger. Thank you all so much for joining the Bikes or Death after party over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. We really can't do these without your support. So we appreciate even a dollar, everything. We appreciate it. So if you'd like to join them, you can head over to Patreon and learn all about it. All right. And next up, we got Greg Hardy here, and we're going to be talking about the Mr. Fusion seat pack, which is uh, the seat pack that I used on this trip, and I'm still in love with it. But listen here to find out why. Greg, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Patrick. Glad to be here. Man, I just got your Mr. Fusion seat pack and took it on that bikepacking trip that I did with Miles Arbor in Arizona and absolutely fell in love with this piece of gear. This route is very technical. I mean, we're talking black trails and we're taking fully loaded bikes 
with all the gear over some really gnarly terrain. And I can't tell you how nice it is to have a seat pack that is not swaying back and forth, that's bouncing up and down. And I had that thing loaded down. I mean, I had it completely crammed because there was rain, there was, it was cold. So I had my bike fully loaded and having the seat bag just be so stable was fantastic. In addition to that, you can just pull the dry bag out, take it you know, over to your campsite, pull out what you need, pack it back up, and then throw it back in. So I don't know, man. What did I miss? I love this seat pack, and I wanted to tell people about it. Dude, absolutely, man. You, you got all the good points on that. Uh, really, I, we see photos of this bag like loaded with gear on top of it, gear strapped underneath it. Um, it's, a, it's a great saddlebag for like big volume, heavy stuff. Um, and that mini rack that is made by Hunter Cycles uh, really does a tremendous job of stabilizing the load and connecting it to the bike. So it's like you don't even know what's back there. Yeah, I guess that's worth mentioning that, you know, what really stabilizes it is that small frame that runs underneath the seat bag um, that really secures everything together. And a pro tip for other people out there, one thing I did is I actually ordered the large and extra large bag that both fit inside the seat bag frame. And so, you know, depending on how much stuff I'm taking, I have two bag options, which I thought was great. Yes. Yeah. The holster uh, fits both sides of the dry bags. And so that's definitely gives you some versatility because it doesn't have to be a huge saddlebag if you don't want it to be. Um, it can certainly also kind of pack down. You can roll up things tight in there and cinch everything down. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning also, this is designed with your 52 hertz welded waterproof technology as well. So waterproof, no problem. Are these in stock? Can people order them now or is there a wait? Yes, they are. So uh, we did get a large batch in. Uh, and so these are ready to roll for the springtime. And so, like I said, the frame itself is manufactured like kind of like a one-off by Hunter Cycles. Um, and then the waterproof, the welded dry bag is RF welded in Canada from a company that uh, Scott from Porous and Rocket has worked with. Um, so everything is made in the U.S. or Canada in uh, kind of the small scale. And that's kind of another kind of attribute that people like, that this stuff is not uh, made from Asia or overseas product. Oh, 100%. No, I mean, it's one of the things that people really like about Rock Guys is you guys are great doing it the right way and making good gear. So check, check, check. I just can't say enough good things about this seat bag. The Mr. Fusion, I'm a big fan of it and recommend people go over to your website, rockguys.com. Check that out. Put it in your shopping cart. And don't forget, the patrons of this show get free shipping from Rock Guys. So if you're not a patron yet, better go over there and sign up. Right, Greg? Absolutely, man. We've, we've seen a number of those orders trickle in with that coupon code in. And every time I see it, I'm excited for it. So I appreciate spreading the news. And uh, thank you, Patrick. Yeah, man. We'll keep doing good things over there, Greg. Thanks for all y'all do. Today's episode is also brought to us by Quadlock. You know, bikepacking is not a new concept. People have been adventuring on bikes since they were invented. But the term bikepacking and the amount of people doing it has never been more popular than now. 
So what do you need to get started? How do you keep things light but still have enough luxuries to survive the trip? With Quad Lock Bike Kit, your smartphone becomes your map, your form of communication in emergencies, and sometimes your sanity. Light but secure, you can easily mount your smartphone to your handlebar or stem to view maps on the go or keep in touch on a long journey. So depending on your bike's handlebar setup, you can choose from their stem mount or one of their two out front mounts. The quad lock case itself is made from impact absorbing TPU outer shell and a tough polycarbonate core and is compatible with the entire range of mounts made for active lifestyles. Quadlock is the lightest, strongest, and most secure smartphone mount available thanks to their patented Quadlock dual locking system. The Quadlock bike kit is safe, secure, and easy way for cyclists to mount their devices onto their bike. The bike kit is extremely easy to use. Simply twist, lock, and go. To learn more, head over to quadlockcase.net. Okay, that's it, folks. Let's get to today's episode. Uh, special thanks to my friend Connor for, man, honestly, he's a great companion to go bike packing with, bike rafting with, or just all around adventuring. He is the ultimate Boy Scout. He cooks, he cleans, he sets up camp, he makes routes, he makes historical companions. Uh, he does a lot, and uh, he's also a good friend, and I appreciate him uh, going on this trip with me. I always enjoy him. I look forward to him, and I appreciate him sharing his his knowledge with us here on the Bikes for Death podcast. So y'all enjoy this episode, but first, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. All right, so we're in Big Bend National Park. I know where we are. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> uh, first off, happy birthday, Connor. Cheers. <laughs> uh, so this is our uh, Big Bend birthday bash weekend. My birthday weekend was February 5th. The weather was terrible. And uh, so now we're doing it on a Connor's birthday weekend. So, yeah sucks to be me um and we uh have driven 10 hours from where we live in college station got on the road about 6 30 this morning i was up packing till about 2 a.m and only got a few hours of sleep and i think we're both kind of tired so we're just gonna uh get this episode kind of kicked off and um connor is going to tell you what what we're doing because essentially he he planned this little uh shindig um he and i both got uh pack rafts recently and this is our first uh official trip on the pack raft so we're going to be doing um some bike rafting here in big bend so connor why don't you 
actually I think it would be interesting to talk about the Packraft situation and how that all unfolded because the listening audience may be aware that we did that uh, bike rafting trip in Arkansas and you were doing a DIY one and so maybe it would be interesting and helpful to people to talk about kind of your experience with a DIY one and then what led you to the ones that we have. Is that fair? Yeah, okay. Sure. All right. So I don't know if you saw, but Patrick kind of mentioned on the write up that I was working on the DIY one, but the iron broke. Um, so I got one borrowed thanks to Jeff Muni um, and was able to make that trip. But I ended up finishing the DIY one. If you're looking at it, it's a lot of time. I think I had at least 30 hours in it um, of straight work. Um, so the cost is definitely lower material wise, but time the cost is pretty severe. If I did it again, it'd probably take about half that time, but that's how those things go. Where, um, did you say where you got it from? Yeah, DIY Packraft. Okay, sorry. I'm yeah. Um, so he's a guy out of Canada that makes the kits and it's really well done. Instructions are good and everything's measured out and sent to you. But I got that one put together and I took it on um, the middle box in Taos. Um, realized it wasn't quite as whitewater capable as I wanted. Um, it's got a little smaller diameter tubes. Um, I didn't have a spray deck installed on it, so it got flooded out a couple times. Um, and that wasn't any fault of the design, as he sells those, and I could have definitely added those on. But kind of started looking for something a little more active water able. Um, I think that DIY kit would be great for like lightweight, like backpacking where you're crossing lakes or you know, smoother bodies or smoother rivers um, where you're not having rapids and stuff. Because um, it's definitely lighter than what we've got now. Um, I think it was about six pounds, and what we've got now is about 10 pounds. Uh, really? Yeah. With everything? Mm hmm. Okay. Which isn't awful, but when you put it on a bike, you know, it's not. Yeah. It's not as substantial. But so what we've got now is. I would love to be able to have an alpaca or something, you know, but it's they're pretty pricey for what, you know. As, as they should be, they're pretty well made. But And um, we looked around, looked at the Alibaba a little bit and kind of left it alone for a little bit and came back to it a couple months later and started looking at it again and talked with a couple manufacturers on Alibaba. And those can always be real hit or miss. And we were looking at a couple, a couple sites and um, we found um, one company, Frontier, that had a promotional video. And about halfway through this video, They've got just this little segment where they've made a seven-person pack raft. <laughs> this thing looks like a caterpillar going down the river. The back person is getting, like, slingshotted into rocks and stuff. But we figured if a company, you know, cared enough to make a seven-person pack raft, they probably cared enough to make a decent one-person pack raft. So. And they were having a hell of a time, too, going down. That's a great video. We should link to it that is. in this episode uh, because, yeah, your description of it, yeah, it's fine. The caterpillar going down a river is perfect or a yeah. centipede or something like that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, but that, that really sold us on, you know, maybe we'll give it a shot. Um, so talked um, to one of their representatives for a while on um, the WhatsApp, as those things do and figured something out and so we ended up getting their their whitewater versions with the the spray deck installed um, with the tie zip um, i got the wider back so it's pretty similar to the alpaca expedition i believe is the newer one um, with the that wider section in the back and we got those how long did it take about a month and a half to get here sounds about right 
Yeah, the rafts themselves, I don't know, do we want to put numbers to them? Sure. Yeah. I think, what were the rafts themselves? Probably, oh, well, that shipping that was, was the, yeah. The rafts themselves, so we got the spray deck, spray skirts, um, seat backrests, thigh straps. And we got the little pumps. The pumps weren't any good, but they were pretty cheap. But it was, it was probably around 600 just for that. Um, shipping was about, so there was three of them on the order. The shipping was about 550 um, but it was DHL Air. It got here in three days, yeah. which is for ordering something from Alibaba is, is great. So you're, you're paying for what you get there. And this was kind of still, this is last winter, so shipping stuff everywhere was still kind of screwy, so that might have had something to do with the prices too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was a, probably about 850 getting everything here. So not that much cost savings at the end of the day, but we got them here, and having built that DIY kind of, and seeing the inside of an alpaca kind of knew what to look for and as far as i can tell you know construction everything looks pretty good um tested out a couple times and it's held up so <laughs> we'll uh we'll take it in the pretty remote section here of big bend and see how it does yeah i got one thing um, to say yeah. so one of the best um features of ordering it through alibaba and and this was all connor's doing he essentially brought an excel spreadsheet with all of his numbers and findings and stuff and he sold me, but uh, the 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 really selling feature was that we could pick out our colorways, and we could even put like a logo on there or you know a name or something like that. And so I went with a brown pack raft, and on the side it says the Deuce. And so tomorrow we are going to set the Deuce loose on the Rio Grande River. And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty wild. You know, we're, we're in a very, you know, y'all have heard me talk about Big Bend a lot. It's very remote, um, very beautiful. And, uh, you know, we're just going to throw all of our gear and our bikes on these Alibaba pack rafts and just send it down, uh, Mariscal Canyon. But yeah, again, this was Connor's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. You want me to take this one? What we're doing? Yeah, sure. yeah, so I mean, there were, you know, this was Connor uh, kind of put this together, um, but it's pretty neat because we try to do this. This is becoming a tradition where we go to Big Bend every year because our birthdays are uh, similar and uh, we all have our, our own personal like relationships with this area. And um, so last year we did this bike packing trip where we incorporated a hike up to the Mariscal Canyon. Uh, it's what was it a six mile total hike? Yeah, I think okay. might have been a little further. A little further, yeah. but it was hot, so it felt far. Yeah, it was hot, but yeah, not too bad of a hike. But it, it takes you up to the top of Mariscal Canyon, which is essentially about eighteen hundred feet, looking down to the Rio Grande below. And this year, we're gonna bike pack to Tally One which is the the put in for the Rio Grande and that'll that'll allow us to to pack raft through Mariscal Canyon you know below and look up to you know the cliffs that we were at you know last year looking down on and so this trip is kind of cool because we're doing the the pack raft thing which will be our kind of maiden voyage on on those new vessels and we'll get to uh, check out Mariscal Canyon from from the other side and so that to me is yeah, the, the trip is exciting for those reasons, you know, I mean, seeing, uh, putting all your shit on a little, you know, eight, nine, 10 pound inflatable raft and 
floating down and through this massive canyon i think it's just going to be like a really epic type experience you tell them about day uh what happens after that and add anything else yeah. it if you want to yeah so yeah like patrick mentioned we're putting in at tally um after riding down the river road on day one and we'll float through to solis um in that area and we'll camp out on the river with the river permit which is nice so and then day three, as Patrick mentioned, we're going to hop back on the bikes and um, ride, you know, maybe 13, 14 miles. And um, it would be nice to stay on the river for this section, but it just flows as low as they are right now. It would just be really slow going out of the canyons. So we're, we're riding down to um, the gravel pits and putting back in. And that'll put us a couple miles upstream from the hot springs. So we'll be pack rafting down to the hot springs and taking a dip there, <laughs> um, which is really exciting. So say why that's exciting. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. So I guess if, if you know, anyone hasn't been there to the hot springs at Big Bend, they're um, right on the edge of the river. Um, so we'll pull up right up to them. And they're, they're actual, you know, they're hot, hot springs. They're not just kind of lukewarm. Um, so we'll get to hang out there. And it might have a couple cold nights so it'll be a good kind of refresher um kind of rolling up in style <laughs> everybody else is gonna be like what are these fools coming in from <laughs> yeah maybe it might be a little insane but <laughs> that's kind of what you get when you go out here so yeah but yeah we'll be doing that and then we'll mess around there and then keep going on through hot springs canyon um and then i think it's just a couple miles further down to to daniel's ranch and rio grande village where we'll pop back out and um, our car will be right there. So. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, Connor is a pretty damn good route builder. He's good at um, not only just finding a good route, but um, incorporating, you know, just like fun approaches to it. And so, yeah, he he had a lot to do with the one last year and, and everything to, the, to do with the one this year. And I just get to go along. And another thing we forgot to talk about is Connor has been um, working on his backcountry chefsmanship merit, merit badge, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he he is he has essentially planned um, all of the the food for breakfast and dinner. And I've I've been told that we're going to be eating in luxury, backcountry luxury. And so um, I think the idea with this one is we're just going to do a kind of a trip report, take you along. We're going to be doing some cool stuff, uh, some stuff that neither one of us have ever done before. And um, oh, I think it's also worth mentioning the uh, the water level um, right now. Um, I'll let you talk about the numbers real quick, but I, I sent Connor a link because I looked at like the American pack rafting website or it wasn't that it's whitewater. whitewater. Yeah. American whitewater website. And they're like, you know, don't float this river below 150 is recommended CFS. And it's at like what? 64 CFS right now. Something like that. So, I mean, that's, that's essentially it. And I'm like, you know, Connor, this, you know, pretty official website is, is saying this, you know, if you know, sure this is a good idea and he's like you know i i saw this blog post from 2008 and the guy said he did it and it, it's totally fine so anyway connor is uh always good at intertwining a little bit of adventure in our adventures which is adventurous and fun uh looking forward to the food what else man mostly i think we're just tired uh i got two and a half hours of sleep i think connor got maybe five and then he slept actually and then i drove the first few hours and connor slept so he still got more sleep so connor's going to talk about water levels 
Thank you. So as Patrick kind of mentioned, we're hitting real low water right now. Kind of this whole area has been in a drought at least the past five years. But um, yeah, Patrick mentioned um, that a post on American Whitewater, a guy had gone through the Marskall Canyon at like 150 CFS with a gear boat or gear raft. Um, so a little different than what we've got, um, but looking at some low water reports, you know, people running around 40 and saying the Marskall Canyon was the, the best low water canyon. So we'll see if that's true. Definitely expect, you know, getting out every once in a while, but hopefully we'll be able to find a pretty good channel and um, be able to stay in the boats most of the time. But no matter what, we'll, we'll make it through the canyon. Should be some great views and we'll, we'll know more about it once we get done. <laughs> yeah. We'll have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only other thing is uh, we're recording in the van, uh, which I think is the only the second time I've ever actually maybe the third time it hasn't happened very often but it's windy as fuck outside right now both of our bikes have blown over the van is rocking back and forth and uh so we're just gonna hunker down in the van tonight and wake up early and uh and get to it so we'll catch up with y'all later hopefully you can hear that water flow. It's the morning of day two and we are standing on the, I guess I'm standing on the bank of the Rio Grande River. Uh, Connor's getting some other things packed up and I thought I'd just hop on real quick and do a little update. Um, yesterday went off pretty well. Uh, we got to camp by about 5.15 and had time to set up and get cooking before the sun went down and uh, we had a neighbor come over and join us uh, in the evening time and it didn't allow for us to record a, an update yesterday but uh, maybe we'll go back and recap day one later but uh, yeah feeling a little bit of nerves this morning um, I have a brand new pack raft that I've only uh, taken out on a lake uh, a couple times and just paddled it around, around a little bit just to make sure it didn't uh, have a hole in it and made sure it was uh, yeah made sure it was a boat so we're about to hop onto the Rio Grande and in a hundred yards we're gonna face our first class two and a half to class three uh, rapid which I've never even done a class three rapid before so uh, it, this whole thing is 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 quite the adventure we're running this river way lower than they recommend it to uh, be ran and because of that there's not a lot of uh, beta to go off of so we're gonna be the guinea pigs and uh, yeah I'm a uh, I'm not nervous but I'm uh, I know we're gonna have an adventure I know we're in for an adventure today so we're gonna see how it goes here comes Connor all right, so now we're gonna have to figure out how to get all of our shit onto the boat. And one of the neat things about these pack rafts is if you have the big T-zip, it's called a T-zip handle, it, it creates a large hole for you to be able to put gear inside the boat. So most of the stuff that we don't need uh, throughout today, we're gonna put inside the boat, zip it up, blow it up, and uh, then strap our bikes on and away we go. How you feeling, Connor? Good. <laughs> Are you ready for today? Yeah. Are we gonna go in the water? Uh, probably not, unless we want to. Boom, there we go. All right, see y'all later.
why don't you review the mileage that it was each day? Um, yeah, what was the actual route that we did? And then I'll look up the questions that we're going <laughs> to kick it off with. Yeah. Um, I can remember correctly. So I think from Rio Grande Village to Tally, it's about 36 miles. Um, and for the most part, it's pretty flat, except um, going by the Marskill Mine, there's a gradual climb and then a little bit of a steep climb. Um, and it's a little bit more climb than you think, or than you realize <laughs> when you're riding it, I guess. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a little daunting. We had talked about this because <clears throat> I calculated, or I didn't, I, I gauged, what did I do? I recorded uh, how long it took from when I could see Mariscal Mine to actually whenever I got to it. I don't remember how long it took, but it was three miles. So you can see it for three miles, and it's just like a, a slog. It's just like slow going, uh, and it was really hot. Yeah. And uh, but Mariscal Canyon, that's cool. You do it. Mm. You know more about the history of Mariscal oh, Canyon, huh? The mine. Yeah. The mine. Oh yeah. Mine. Sorry, Mariscal Mine. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, it's like a gradual uphill, and you think you're just going slow, but you're going uphill. So it's there. We'll go down, and it's kind of sandy-ish down a tally, kind of gradual downhill. And we camp there, and then paddle through the canyon. It was probably about ten miles. I'd say. Did you record a mileage on it? Uh, paddle through the canyon. Being? Yeah, yeah. So we slept at. Uh, did you say we slept at Tally Four? Yeah. Yeah. So we slept right there on the the bank, and uh, yeah, it was ten miles through the canyon, and I think. I think it was, we estimate it's about eight miles you're like totally in the canyon. Mm. And then, you know, it's a couple miles where you're out outside of the canyon. Yeah, on the other side of it. And then we camped kind of within sight of the Solis Landing um, where we took out the next morning. So we had a very short paddle the, the next morning. <laughs> um, it what was do you nice. think about that, Connor? Would you, uh, would you have just camped at? I don't know. It was nice to be away from people and i don't know exactly if we could have had a fire at the landing um oh that's true it, it was definitely you know it cost us some time packing the bikes on the rafts and then you know not even five minutes later taking them off and <laughs> undoing everything yeah it was pretty um, pretty funny we, but it was a good practice i think yeah the next time we'll probably be faster oh yeah exactly <laughs> but um, we'll definitely be faster and then we we biked to, and this was a change from what we originally thought. Originally, we were going to try and find uh, Tornillo Creek and just kind of cut onto the river, but decided it'd probably be better to go down to the gravel pit where there's actually um, an official um, landing for the river. And that was probably a maybe 15-mile ride there. Yeah. Um, and then on the river... I can't remember exactly how far it is. Maybe maybe five miles on the yeah, river. I think it was about four was or about five right? miles. Yeah, it was about about two miles to the hot springs, and then the rest of the way to Rio Grande Village. So um, it was a real easy paddle. It was broken up nicely by the hot springs, and the real kind of treasure of the route we didn't know going in was after the hot springs, going through the hot springs canyon, ended up being really nice. Um, just saying, you know, big deep blue blue green pools of water, and um, not as high cliffs as Mariscal, but still great and tons of wildlife. And yeah, I really, it was, it was nice. I really enjoyed, um, 
day three was pretty awesome because it was the only day where we 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 actually paddled, biked, and then paddled again mm-hmm. all in one day. Uh, we had the the stop in the hot spring, which was my first time. Which is it's been there for two hundred years, two hundred something. Well, it's been there forever. Well, no, but it, time, it was but... discovered, and they. I mean, they had a a trading post there, and they had. Did they have a hotel there too? Yeah, so it was the Langfords. Um, there's probably better specifics, and I'm just going off memory. Um, but he had like malaria as a kid, and was from Ohio, and was like sickly, and came down south because that's what people did back then when they were sickly. <laughs> um, and like heard about the hot springs at a hotel in Alpine, and they came down. I think it was it was around when all the like the Pancho Villa border stuff was going. So it was like 1911. And then they left for seven years because was, you know, stuff was going on and it came back. Mm. So this is like 1920s was when it really got popular. Yeah, I think it was like a whole resort thing. They had cabins out there, or it called them cabins. So yeah. they're probably Sedobe. But yeah, yeah, it's worth mentioning. I guess while we're talking about the route and everything that um, we were talking about it, and uh, we're gonna publish the route. We're gonna try to put on bikepacking.com. Um, but as a companion to that, Connor has created like a historical, uh, is a historical guide. What is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah historical a historical guide. companion. With the route, a yeah. Historical companion, which is really well done. And, uh, so while we're talking about it, what, you know, some of the information Connor's sharing, um, is in there and he's got sightings. Uh, it's all, what is that? Cited? It's sourced, cited? Yeah. It's cited. sourced. Yeah. Cited. cited yeah. yeah. You got it. <laughs> yeah. He cited it in. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll put that like up, uh, somewhere. So it's, it's a neat thing to be able to ride through the area and, um, understand a little bit more of its, uh, you know, I love knowing about the natural history and, and the, you know, the cultural history of, of the place. And, um, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's always fun to have Connor on a trip (laughs) because he's a wealth of information. And so he'll tell you stories about, you know, the Solis family or the Tally family or even about, you know, the Mariscal mine and stuff. And it's like, so if you, if you can't go bike packing or bike rafting with Connor, the next <laughs> best thing is, uh, is this, and it's, it's really well done. It's got maps, pictures, uh, all kinds of stuff. So yeah. good job on it, my, yeah, my yeah. friend. Thanks. Yeah. What about your, um, you actually wrote a really nice little, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I don't even know what you call that. Just like a short story, I guess, yeah. kind of, of of your experience. Are you thinking about uh, putting out that in the world? Uh, we can, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it was kind of, I don't know. It was based off that, because um, I got that Big Ben Nature Writings book last time. Okay. Um, what was it? It was like God's Country, Devil's Playground. Um, it was just a collection of nature writings from Big Ben. So oh, that's cool. That kind of, I don't know, the, the canyon experience, and I guess you can read the short short writing. It was like it was really powerful. So I hadn't really expressed myself in writing in uh, quite a while. So I figured I'd give it a shot. Kind of inspired by the that collection. So it's something I find it's really challenging, and I have a lot of respect for people who are able to uh, to capture experiences or thoughts or feelings or whatever. I always um, my brain is so like everything's jumbly, and I don't know. It's a little it's a challenge, but. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, you were talking about uh, people moving down because of their your their health, and that that book, Burrow at the Door, something on the mantle, lizard on the lizard mantle, on the mantle. Yeah. lizard on the mantle, burrow at the door. That that 
family moved down there because the the father uh, they were seeking. I think it was his allergies or something, and they were moving down <laughs> south, and so that's where they landed was in Big Bend. But it was all yeah. precipitated by you know a desire to be in like less allergies. Um, all right, what else do about the route um, before we get to everybody's questions? I mean, we're going to publish it online. We'll have some great companion pieces to go along with it that people can uh, check out. You know, I mean, we've done it. It's very doable. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll maybe what we'll do is we'll answer questions, and then anything people didn't we didn't that we think is worth mentioning. You know, yeah. we'll kind of backtrack. So, uh, first of all, anything else that I missed before I no. just steamroll ahead? Like we can steamroll on. All right, uh, Moose wants to know all of it. <laughs> so you just you use your panties in a wad out of a wad. There, we'll get to it, Mister. Bicycle Bros, how much did you pay for the packraft setup that's minimal enough for bike packing? That's a good question. I think we talked a little bit about the different options. Um, so I think we've mostly covered that. Now, I mean, I think what we could add to this conversation other than the cost and material and stuff is we've both now used it, uh, both of our packrafts, and, and ours are pretty identical for the most part there's some small variation but um you know i thought mine handled really well i've i've my only other experience has been with the alpaca raft that we rented for the um buffalo national river trip in arkansas um but i didn't yeah i didn't notice any difference i didn't i didn't i felt like the quality was good the handling was good got that new carbon fiber pull i was like still slow (laughs) (laughs) uh i don't know yeah what do you think connor yeah, no, I think it was good. I think with Packrass, man, the cost is a big thing. Yeah. It's it's a great mode of travel, but it's very prohibitive. And it's kind of unfortunate. But, you know, like we talked about, renting is a great way to do it. At least try it. And then the use market's not, not terrible either. Yeah, we reviewed that. At, we talked about it on the first episode, but it's worth reminding. We, you know, I think rental was a great option. You were able to borrow one. Um, because your DIY one didn't get done done in time. That's probably the best way to do it if you can find someone to borrow one. From. Oh, borrow but, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't tell people we got them. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, no, I got to pay that forward. We both do. But yeah, we I rented some, and we actually have a discount still through for patrons. I might as well throw that out there. But there's a 15% off discount for uh, backcountry pack raft rentals or whatever it is. Um, but that's what I used. And uh, yeah, you rent an alpaca or a cocapelli and basically have anything you want. You just rent it and it, it's a lot less money. So it, it does make it much more doable. Um, hopefully you and I will have these a long time and we'll get the value out of them, you know. So essentially the way it works out is I think you could rent one four times or you could buy one of the ones we got and I think we spent around eight fifty each, eight to nine, eight fifty to nine hundred dollars um, to get ours, and yeah, but compact enough to, uh, uh, you know, Connor put everything on his bike. Um, that's another good question, actually, Connor, because I mean, we talked about what our setups were, um, but we didn't talk about our experiences with mm-hmm. actually packing them. So uh, <laughs> you packed yours on your bike. Uh, you packed everything on your bike, and mm-hmm. I had the pack raft, the paddles, basically everything for the pack raft on my back. So why don't you start and say, you know, 
did you like your setup? Would you do it again? Would you change anything? Yeah. Um, I really like not having things on my back. So that was my biggest motivation. So I just had it rolled up and it took a little bit of trial and error, but I was able to fit it between my bars. Um, I've got like 44 centimeter drop bars on it. So it's not a big space there. And so got it on one of the salsa anything mounts. Um, it's probably over the weight capacity of that rack, but it held up okay. If I were to do it again, I'd probably look at getting two individual straps instead of one big long one, which I was using to hold it on. It might hold it a little more securely. Um, how I had it, I probably wouldn't want to take it on single track, but on gravel stuff, and there was some pretty rocky gravel, it did okay. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of weight to have up there. Um, but I, I think it was, I'm just happy how it worked out, and I'd probably do it that way again. So. Yeah, so I put mine on uh, my back, and I regretted it the whole time, pretty much. <laughs> uh, so I think next time I'm going to, you know, I have the option to, because I'm running a flat bar on that bike, and even on my drop bar, I, I run a 52 and a half, so it's even wider, which is one of the nice things about those wider bars. But um, I think for sure I'm going to... I'm probably, I have the exact same salsa, anything cradle, the front mount one. It's a great robust system. It's not a lightweight, but mm. um, the last time we did it in the Buffalo National River, I used that. And um, yeah, I don't like stuff on my bike back either. And it was, at first you put it on and you're like, oh, this isn't bad. But after a couple of days, it's just, it's annoying. Mm. Um, gear breakdown. Dang, we, we were ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> Uh, how much PBR did you drink on the river? Zero. Um, I brought a half a flask of whiskey. I took two sips of it on Monday night, and the rest of the trip I was too tired to feel like <laughs> uh, drinking. <laughs> and Connor, yeah, Connor didn't bring anything. <laughs> we did drink. Uh, it was your birthday, um, so we shared, or we didn't share. We each had a, a beer um, that night before when we got there in the van, uh, but that was it. Um, what was the most difficult part and would you do it again? The answer is an, a resounding yes. We would both <laughs> yep. a thousand percent do this again. This is a great trip. Really great. Kudos, Connor. What was the most difficult part? I'll start. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there was a couple uh, challenging things First off, I mean, day one, the the only really challenging part about the ride is that kind of long sustained climb up and over Mariscal uh, Mine, which is, it's not terrible, but it's just a little bit of a slog. Um, after that, it's all pretty smooth sailing. You know, our day two through the canyon, um, I, I recorded a little segment going into it, and uh, that was kind of the last segment of of recording on the trip. And I wanted to mention the reason why we didn't keep recording is because I didn't feel like it. I don't think Connor. <laughs> I don't know if Connor felt like it, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be in the moment and enjoy it. And sometimes the last thing you want to do is like pick up a microphone and, and talk about it. And so it's much nicer to be on Connor's back porch right now and. Um, that's kind of one of the downsides of trying to do a trip report is sometimes I'm just like, eh, I don't feel like it. Um, so anyway, here we are. Um, but yeah, that, that day too was, I think the most challenging part of it is one physically, 
I don't paddle very often in my upper body. It's it's like as a cyclist, you never use your upper body other than it's like sustain your or support your own weight. And so I got like fatigued, but I think I also got like mentally fatigued because it was a, it was a decent amount, I think between 10 and 12 times. So not an insane amount, but getting out of the pack raft, you know, dragging the boat, you know, through low areas, there was a little bit of mental fatigue from, you know, not knowing what it's going to be like. And, and then it kind of started to take a little bit longer than I thought, you know, it was a little bit slower going. And so I got in uh, to camp, I don't know, 30 minutes before sunset, 45, something like that. I think Connor got there about 30 minutes before me, something. And, uh, you know, and so I was like, okay, we need to pick up the pace. And I was running low on water and, you know, so, I mean, nothing like crazy, but yeah, day two was, day two was a challenging part because it was unfamiliar. It was all unfamiliar. I'm not a, I'm not a paddler. I'm a lot, you know, I'm a lot more comfortable on a bike. And I'm enjoying like learning pack rafting and I'm learning to enjoy paddling and going on river trips. It's something that, you know, you introduced me to during the uh, pandemic is whenever, I mean, it's like you want a social distance. It's a perfect way to uh, get away from everybody. So yeah, that was me. And then day three was, uh, day three was pretty great. Honestly, I was a little tired, but you know, it was a, it was a nice day. Not too challenging. Mm Mm-hmm. Did did you have a pretty easy time? Was it a pretty easy trip for you? I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was like very manageable. Yeah. You know? I would say like that last part of the, the second day where we came out of the canyon and it's, yeah. I mean, it was pretty much all flat water the whole time, but it was just a big channel with a headwind. Um, and that was definitely the tougher part and it's getting dark. And I hadn't seen you for a while, so I just kind of was like, I'll just go and get to camp and get stuff's going, rolling there. So uh, back up and say, your challenging part of that day probably came from about midway right after lunch. Oh, yeah. There was the <laughs> the camera baptism into yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was kind of a, it put a little bit of a sour on things for a little bit. But anyway, as I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to the water section, but we were kind of walking on the raft through a rapid that wasn't quite deep enough to raft. And I took a a bad line and stepped into some deep water and the raft started to get a little tippy. I was kind of hanging on to it. And so I let the raft go. And um, it's important to know that before this, I decided to put the camera around my neck while I was walking the raft through so that it would stay dry and be safe. (laughs) And so as I went in, so did the camera. Well, it was a good you know, seven years of that camera, but it took its last shot in the Marscale Canyon. <laughs> so it put a little damper on things for a little bit, but it's all right. Yeah. Cause then, so then Connor's cold and we're in the Canyon. <laughs> I mean, soaking wet and you know, the water was pretty cold. It wasn't freezing, yeah. but I mean, it was cold water. And then in the Canyon, it was cool and there was a breeze and, uh, kind of the, the, the highlight though, of the whole, uh, river part the canyon part was you got to see bighorn sheep mm-hmm. so like right after you got soaked at least you had bighorn sheep to uh yeah. to think about to keep you distract distracted it helps for sure <laughs> yeah. yeah and he writes about that in the uh what do you call that a little short story that's what you yeah, call sure <laughs> um this is a good question so dry suits no how many days we answered that uh, but what did you do for food? And so this is a perfect opportunity to talk about um, one thing Connor's been 
kind of working on and, you know, quote unquote, I wouldn't say perfecting yet, but working on (laughs) perfecting (laughs) is, uh, is like back country cooking. And he wanted to, he was like, dude, I'll, I'm going to do all the food. He's like, let me just, you know, take care of it all. I was like, heck yeah. So, um, why don't you give a rundown of uh, some of the cooler things that like more <laughs> yeah. like, you, you know what I'm saying? The, the good ones. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll preface it by saying, I might've said this in that first bikepacking basics we did, but I've eaten enough, you know, freeze dried and dehydrated food in my life. So, um, and I'm not too old. So I guess that's saying something, but <laughs> um, so yeah, like we kind of tried to do fresher, more normal food, hot foods this time. So, um, I guess some of the highlights, you know, we had like sausage wraps for lunch, like pop the stove out, cook sausage, melted some cheese in a tortilla. And that's great. Like having some, having a hot lunch, even though like it wasn't cold or anything, but, um, and melted cheese just, it helps a lot for dinner. We did, um, potato and creamy cheese. Yeah. It was like this potato, um, like soup thing. It's very filling. (laughs) Um, as Patrick can probably attest. And then, um, I've been working on, I guess I'll, I'll say it, working on perfecting the backcountry pizza. Yeah. And so this was round three and I think this was the best one yet. So we had some pepperoni pizza. Um, there might've been some bacon on there. I can't remember if we had any bacon left. No, I don't think Um, any bacon. No, the bacon went in the soup. The bacon went in the soup, yeah. Yeah. So there was still bacon to be had, but not in the pizza. Um, so had a little bit of pepperoni pizza. They give you like some nice yeast bread in the back country. It's just, it's great. Um, so <laughs> give us a rundown of, uh, and we've talked about making like videos of, of some of this stuff, but like, how do you make a pizza in the back country? Cause he, he did. Yeah. So, um, I don't deserve a lot of the credit for this. A lot of this is from the Knowles cookbook and using their baking methods. Um, it's a fry bake pan but you can think of it as like a small aluminum um, Dutch oven. So you can bake with it. Yeah, the pizza, you know, mixed it just like you would normal yeast bread. And then, you know, put the dough in the pan. And then on really low heat, <laughs> and this is the, the big one. Um, so I use a, a Whisper Light stove, really low heat, cooked one side. Once that was kind of done, flipped it, applied the toppings, um, and then put it back on and cooked the other side. Um, and I got it pretty good. We had melty cheese. And I tried to trick it putting a little bit of water in there to steam it up to help melt the cheese. But I put a little bit too much and made the bottom of the dough a little doughy instead of crispy. So that's something to improve on next time. And then I guess fast forwarding to the next night, we were talking about baking still. Um, we did some jambalaya with cornbread. And for the cornbread, we used a little bit of a different method. Since we had a fire that night, um, use the stove still on low heat and put coals on top. Um, so just like you would with a Dutch oven. And that worked pretty well too. Oh, it worked really well. But my question was, do you think that you can incorporate the coals on top to the pizza? Yeah. To, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, absolutely. And that would have um, probably cooked it through a little bit mm-hmm. better. Yeah, definitely. I got I got some good pictures of Connor like doing doing the cooking. It was pretty. It was pretty neat, like to watch somebody. Uh, I mean, anybody who cooks knows, especially on camping equipment and a, you know a camp stove, that to be able to you know cook cornbread or a pizza without completely burning <laughs> the bottom and having the top be mush mm-hmm. is is the challenge. That's yeah. that. That's where the challenge 
and then I guess maybe bringing um, all the different ingredients, mm-hmm. having the different, and it's it's also worth noting Connor does not pack light. <laughs> he's not a. I mean, he. he He's a, he's a young dude in pretty good shape, I guess. And he, uh, you know, he's like, if I want it, I just bring it, whether it's food or, yeah. you know, you, you, you just pack whatever you want to bring. And that's, and that's what you bring. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And kind food, of your approach. doing food this way is, you know, it, it's definitely heavy, but you know, day two, day three, you're not thinking about the weight too much anymore once you start eating it. So I think it's one of those places you can, you can give a little, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I'll say this was my first time ever eating well in the backcountry. You know, like not out freeze dried, but bringing like good real food and eating it. And legitimately, Connor was making so much food that I could not finish it, and so I had to pack it out. I like couldn't <laughs> finish. All, I mean, it's crazy because I'm exhausted and I'm like so famished, and uh, I couldn't finish uh, all of the food each night. Um, my favorite, I wanted to rate the food. Um, <laughs> my favorite, that that you call it jambalaya, I call it jambalaya. Well, I'll let the internet decide who's right. But the jambalaya you made, mm-hmm. uh, oh man, we had it was it was it was pretty spicy. Uh, but he had, you had cornbread, mm-hmm. and it was just, I mean, that was uh, an epic. I mean, it was just like gourmet food. I felt like <laughs> yeah. it was really good. Yeah. So to eat a meal like that after such a hard day and not just eat shit food was really nice. And that was what you were selling me on is like, you know, having something to look forward to and mm-hmm. be able to like kind of a reward. You feel renewed, you feel satiated. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice. Anything else to say about the food? Um, yeah, I think that those Knowles, are kind of the highlights. Yeah. That Knowles is a great resource. Yeah. The Knowles. Looking at their stuff. Um, and there's tons on the internet. So that's where I think a site. That's but, that's an important. Well, Knowles is a good uh, resource, mm, right? I mean, yeah, just right there, books, whether it's for yeah. their their cookware, their camping cookware, and their uh, camp cookbooks. I mean, you need the right part. That's part of this equation is having the right uh, cookware and stove and stuff to do it right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could do it on shittier stuff, but yeah, yeah. That know. that pan. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't cheap, but. Um, I mean, you could do it all on coals and just buy that pan and everything else is mostly household stuff. So There you go. Yeah. Um, needs and wants of boat packing. Dry bags for sure. Dry bags. Yeah, dry bags, lots of vole straps. And uh, I think being able to fit everything and carry it is like one of the biggest mm-hmm. needs. But it's, it's just like bike packing. You just have another thing and so i mean you see people go on the iditarod with you know, huge packs i mean you can pack as a bunch of stuff so i would say it's bike packing you just add a boat you need some uh, <laughs> you need same, some yeah. tools to disassemble your bike and reassemble your bike not a lot but a multi-tool mm-hmm. is fine mm. you need uh lots of volley straps to keep your shit tied down and i would recommend uh connor and i both always bring uh, dry sacks to put like a camera in. Uh, he <laughs> failed to use it uh, at that particular time, but he had one. Anything else strike a, that you that would be like addition to bike packing? So I think the one thing is the camera. I think having a sort of bag that you can have outside of your boat 
that's accessible and easy to use and you can fit the stuff you want in there is really useful. Because I had a dry bag that I couldn't fit my camera in without taking it apart. So I didn't use the dry bag. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that happened um, partially because of that. Um, and then the other thing I think is bringing a bottle of chain lube. Because um, oh, the chain's going to get splashed with water. Yeah. I think that's something we realized in Arkansas. You're probably okay running it, but it's uh, it's a lot better if you can lube your chain up and not have to listen to crunchy chain all day. Yeah. So. Yeah, that uh, Arkansas was painful on our drive yeah. trains because, you know, sand and water. Do you bike with the rafts? Yes, you do. I think we answered <laughs> that one. It's crazy. And we talked about this on the first one too, but if you want to get people talking, uh, <laughs> no one notices when you're on your bike and you're carrying a raft. No one really notices. But when you're going down the river and you have a bike on front of your little, you know, inflatable raft, Every single person will want to talk to you about it and be like, I have never seen that before. <laughs> like, we know. Yeah. That's a great way to meet people, too. You know? Oh, yeah. We had a great conversation with some, a couple from Maine when the last section on the river. So it was nice. I brought that up on a previous podcast. I think it was the AMA, but um, I don't know if I mentioned that it was that trip where I met him, but it was, it was neat. And it is neat to see people come to Texas and be like, this is not at all what I was <laughs> expecting. You know, they had, they, they gave us a nice comment that like you remind us of Edward Abbey. Have y'all read desert solitaire? We're like, yes, <laughs> uh, yes, we have. And no, we're no Ed- Edward Abbey's, <laughs> but, um, but it was, I guess it was a nice compliment. Um, but yeah, we chatted with them for uh, quite a while, just paddling down the Rio Grande. And uh, I, I enjoyed meeting them and, oh, and then when we got out at, uh, the camp, uh, that family, man, they mm-hmm. were just chat. They, that lady was just like, couldn't ask enough questions. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, when we went to the hot spring, uh, I remember when we were going away, they, people were like, watch this. Like they got their bikes on there. I could hear them talking and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing about water people is noise travels. So if you're like, <laughs> if we're on a paddle and someone's on a shore, like even if they're like talking kind of quiet, you can, probably hear what they're saying. It's kind of interesting. And it was a little self-conscious too. Like we hadn't seen anyone for like, you know, probably close to like 36 hours at that point. Yeah. Going to the hot springs, but hopefully it maybe sparked a couple people to do some funny things in the outdoors. So. Yeah. Yeah. Ask some questions. Be like, wait, you can do what? <laughs> but yeah, maybe they'll go Google it. Maybe they'll find this podcast and listen to it. That'd be wild, wouldn't it? How wild would that be? Okay. That is always hard going from nature into social settings, though. I always, I don't know if I struggle, but it's always a transition is a mm-hmm. good way to. to it's a slap back. To yeah, reality, slap you back. Know? <laughs> <laughs> what about pack rafting is different than you expected? For me, I would say, well, sorry, Connor, you go first. You got one? <laughs> I've been going first. Uh, it sparks a lot of creativity and route building. And gives you a lot more options to maybe do things you couldn't do or, or wouldn't have done before. Um, I got one while you're thinking. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the one that came to my mind was I'm surprised at how well they handle. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've covered this on this on this episode. We've talked about it previously, but um, you actually stuff if you have a T-zip handle, which is this big handle, a uh, big zipper at the back of the boat or the bow, 
wait, is that the bow or the stern? Stern. That's the stern. <laughs> the stern of the boat. Um, you actually put a majority of your gear, not your bike, but your bags, your shoes, you know, all kinds of stuff can go inside the boat itself. Um, and the boats handle just really well. They are very maneuverable, very mm-hmm. tough. Um, they, they handle the weight of a bike on front, your own weight as a person balances that out. So, um, yeah, I would say much like bike packing where, the bikes handle it's like oh wow these bikes actually handle really well with all this gear on it it's kind of the same way in the boat it's like ah this is fine yeah yeah that was the one i thought of too oh cool yeah what is the weight load limit for the rafts do you know the answer i mean i we can say how much weight we put on them yeah i don't know i mean probably a pretty good amount i i don't think you would want to get close to the weight limit yeah you know like you wouldn't want to paddle that around so I don't, I don't know what the weight limit is. I can say, um, I mean, my gear was probably with water, everything, 50, 55 pounds, not including the raft. And then I weigh 195 pounds. <laughs> you know, I don't feel like we were pushing any limits there. I, I don't, I feel like everything was, yeah, fine. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Connor agrees. We have a quorum. So if you want to find that out, what I suggest is that you go to the manufacturer and you go to their specification section and you see what the weight limit is for that particular raft. Friends have put off boating trips in the fall due to the low water levels. Interested to hear about your experience in pack rafts with lower water levels on the Rio. Excellent question. We are now the experts on (laughs) (laughs) if you want to float the Rio on Mariscal Canyon at 30 or 64 CFS, um, (laughs) we can tell you what to expect. And why not? Um, It it is hard to find information about this. Mm -hmm. So first off, there's what, three rapids that are class two, two and a half, somewhere around there. I think one's a three. Three. Um, I don't, you probably know all the names, but essentially the rapids were not rapids. You could see the (laughs) boulders and we just navigated through them either on feet or by paddle. There was no challenging sections of the river in terms of, you know, I'm not an experienced paddler and I was totally fine. Connor wasn't even in his boat whenever he fell in the water. Like he, he, he <laughs> was an problem, inexperienced yeah. walker here. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, that was the da- most dangerous part. And so, you know, really, um, it was just a little bit of getting out of the pack raft. And um, if you know, uh, it's just navigating some little water and the, the bottom of the boat would drag on some rocks and you just kind of try to shimmy through. And if not, you get out and you walk your mm-hmm. boat yeah. um, a little bit. One tip there um, about walking the boat is I, I actually got to a point where I was like, felt like I was walking faster than I was boating. And so, you know, if you have like a little rope or I was uh, on my uh, rock guy's seat back has a, has a strap. I was just like walking at like a leash and that was great because I could be on like the bank and it was just in the water and I was just kind of walking it along. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on I think pack rafting it is the best way to do it at low water. Oh, that's um, a good point. Because you you Probably hardly draw anything, so you can if it's you know, it's real low, a lot of stuff you can skim over that you wouldn't be able to in a canoe or kayak. Getting in and getting out, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. But that's a good point. It probably is one of the only vessels that you could take 
in low water. Mm-hmm. And we've shown it. I, and what it, I think I counted it was like between 10 and 12. Yeah, which times. isn't off over 10 miles. No, it's That's not, not awful. No, yeah. it wasn't bad at all. And I think doing, I mean, the Rio Grande is, is so variable in water and it's really struggles with that due to a lot of factors. But if you don't have a lot of whitewater experience and you're hesitant about being, you know, 30 miles from from the nearest help in a canyon doing white water, doing it at low water is a great way to get almost the same experience. So I would do it again at low water. It'd be fun to do it at high water, but yeah. I agree. I would I would do this trip again at that water level. I would like if we had two more feet, I feel mm-hmm. like it would have been almost yeah totally runnable. Two mm-hmm. more feet. So yeah, it's uh that's some that's some good info. Dropping the hot knowledge. Oh Pondero, Pondero. He says I can relate to the thoughts about younger about <laughs> younger riding companions, says the geezer who is twenty years older than you. I feel you, brother. Connor's <laughs> eighteen years younger than me. And just that alone is like a <laughs> it, it counts, you know. Yeah. It's crazy. I hate being the the slow old guy. I told Connor I was like I'm I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a, a male model after this year. I'm gonna be in uh, male fitness calendars, and uh, it's gonna be great. <laughs> That's all our questions. Uh, one person asked me about my thoughts on what. Let's ask both of the, us these questions. This is a good one. We actually ran different setups. Uh, thoughts on flat bar versus drop bar for all around adventure bike. Mm. Whose turn is it to go first? Oh, you can go for it. All right. For like gnarlier riding, more rough terrain and stuff, I think a flat bar, I'm actually using a curvy bar, which is what I like. It's kind of a, you know, it's a nice mix. I like the, I like the swept back uh, for the hand position it gives me. Um, It also gives me a lot of room to kind of put whatever I want out front. And it just removes one more element of having to worry about packing. You know, I mean, we talked about, you know, trying to figure out how to finagle it. And I saw you working and it's doable, but it was a little bit of a pain in the ass to, you know, and then, you know, you got your hands that are jammed up with your gear and stuff and I've done it and it's totally workable. Um, but it is a little bit of a, a pain. Um, so when I run drop bars and I just got in my new crust evasion, like (laughs) 30 minutes before we did this and it's sitting in the van because I had to bring it with me and show Connor, uh, but I'm going to set that up as my, you know, dedicated kind of gravel drop bar bike. And then my Chumba Stella will be my dedicated, uh, you know, more mountain bike, flat bar, wider tire. Yeah. So my go-to on something like that is I just try to use a, a small roll in front and then utilize like fork mounts um, and other stuff to, you know, dis- distribute the weight. I think those are my thoughts. I mean, it really depends on where you want to put your gear, how much gear you're putting and kind of what your, per- I mean, it's like anything else, like personal preference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think I just answered, I, I, I kind of like both and it depends on what I'm doing. If it's uh, yeah, a little bit rougher, I think I like a, a mountain bike. I like, um, one thing I did, sorry to keep talking, Connor, I know I can, um, but for this trip, I think I mentioned this, but I took out my suspension port fork and I put on, I had my, uh, flat, uh, flat bars on there and just a little bit less, more out of the way, I feel like than the drop bars, but I don't know, not a big difference. Yeah. I think you didn't about nailed everything. I don't know. It's all a personal preference. I, 
prefer drop bars, just the different hand positions, especially on, you know, when you're riding six hours a day, you know. Yeah. It's nice, but I would love to have the room that flat bars affords you. And I think nice thing about flat bars is um, like getting started with bike packing. Most of the bikes are going to have flat bars. I don't think you can go wrong there if that's what you got. Yep. All right. Let's see. Any closing thoughts on the trip? We loved it. I mean, we thought it was going to be cool going into it, but it was, it's a neat experience to hike up to the top of a canyon and then the next year do a very similar trip when you uh, float through the same canyon and get the exact inverse of that experience um, and, and get to appreciate a really grand geological formation just a it's just it's grand it's it's massive and uh i don't know you just stand in awe of it it's hard to like put into words but you know these two routes that we're talking about um we need to we need to kind of publish both of them and some i've been talking to connor i've been really busy and kind of neglected a little bit on it but um I think we're going to relight the fire and uh, try to try to really get those out there because these are these are two great routes. We've done both of them. It's it's a special area of the world and like those people from Maine said, man, I think you know people need to get out and experience it. It's it's not what Oh, I had another person message me because they're planning on going out there in 2 weeks and they were like or 2 or 3 weeks they're like how how bad is the border patrol? Is that going to <laughs> you know, they they were really concerned about this. Their question was is the um, presence and the amount and and whatnot of border patrol going to be so much that it detracts from your experience in the park? And you know, as someone who goes out there all the time, I would never think about that because you and I both know that you're. It's very unlikely you're going to see border patrol. I I don't know if I've ever seen border patrol inside the park. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, only you, at the crossing at Bukias. Yeah, crossing but at Boquillas. It's just, yeah. Where you would expect them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's some, you know, border patrol checkpoints when you're driving in on the interstates. You might see them driving somewhere, but uh, they're just people. They're white people in white ban- uh, white trucks. You know, it's, uh, it, it, yeah. So I think, I think it's interesting. I think people definitely, I've noticed this with the East Texas Showdown. I've noticed it as we've gone to Big Ben and talked to people and I get feedback from like people have some concerns, like legitimate concerns. And I, I think it's interesting that I think I'm sure the media or, you know, whatever, you know, the perception is, is that there's a lot more conflict or a lot more border patrol and whatever. I don't really know what the exact perception is. Um, but yeah, it's not like that. You're, it's like you said, we went 36 hours without seeing anybody. The people you do see are people that want to be in the outdoors. Now, oh, to touch on something that we talked about that uh, an experience that we both kind of shared was I had my way of looking at, you had a different take on it, but I, I said, um, you know, there's a difference between, um, like seeing big bend and experiencing big bend. Mm -hmm. And we saw a lot of people seeing big bend, but you know, not to toot our own horn, but we, we immersed ourselves, um, you know, in it. And uh, I think we experienced experience pretty well. But And you had a little different spin yeah, on it. Yeah, same idea, but being in a place versus being at a place. Yeah. And yeah. I think that looks different for everyone, but I think it's an important thing to be conscious of and try to attain if you want to. So. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's levels, right? And maybe those people in cars will see people on bikes or see people with a boat on a bike and they'll be like, oh, what else? And I mean, we all start somewhere, so I don't mean to knock it, but I, yeah. there, yeah, it's like you say, there's there's levels and, and if you want it, it, there's some great opportunities out there. And I'm, I'm really uh, excited about both of these routes and um, yeah, excited for people to go out there and try them. Oh, I think on the border thing too, like... That that region is, I mean, it's its own wall. You've got desert on either sides of the thing. So all you've got is the people that are living there, and they might happen to live on the other side of the river. But, you know, the river isn't really a, a divider there. It's more a joiner because both sides of the river need it so much to be able to exist in that area. So Yeah. And, and we saw, you know, we paddled by um, Mexican nationals collecting water on the river just like we were doing so connor scared one of them a little bit yeah (laughs) it kind of came around the corner but it was nice i talked to him and yeah it was great well it's funny because you passed by a little bit before me and i we we chatted you and i chatted later and you're like you scared him a little or startled (laughs) him and i came up on him and he was just super friendly because he knew i was coming i guess yeah more more alert and uh when we were at the hot spring uh, there was, you know, <laughs> some Hispanics that were, I don't know, I, we couldn't, there was a little bank, but we could see like their heads and a couple kids running around and yeah, they're having a barbecue. It smelled great. <laughs> uh, was that what they were doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And some of the, some of the people who were visiting the hot spring, like walked over and like went into their camp and I think they took pictures with them and stuff <laughs> and said hi or whatever. And so, yeah, I've never felt anything but safe you know a lot of the you know hispanic people will come over and you'll see um on the american side uh, it's not uncommon that you'll see these little kind of like art pieces made out of like wire or beads or necklaces they make different things and there's a little bucket there where you can you know take one and leave some money and you know it's it's usually a a, i i would hope that most of the interactions are positive along in the in that area Mm. yeah yeah, I'd agree. Cool. All right, should we uh, wrap it up? Yeah, closing thoughts, or or is that yours? Uh, those were my closing <laughs> okay. thoughts. So I want to hear yours. Yeah, uh, I think the route is great. <laughs> Big fan of it. I think it is better than we expected. Like Patrick's mentioned, I think like these places they aren't meant to be talked about. They're meant to be experienced. So go out there and make a plan as much as you can because. We had a lot of unknowns, but we planned as much as we could, and it didn't go according to our plan, but it went well. So. Yeah, I mean, I always caution people, especially when going into the desert, to you have to know your own limits and capabilities. You know, have something with you that you really can rely. You know, whatever it is, like yeah, you, you have to kind of do your own homework, um, like you say, and I. Um, but there is a big, big difference between, yeah, listening to a podcast or checking out the route or the historic, like, you know, we can provide some pretty neat information, but, um, yeah, hopefully that's, that's just the beginning of, yeah, actually experiencing an area versus just like, you know, hearing about it. (laughs) And there's only one way to get it, man. You just got to go and do it, you know, and that's, that's (laughs) the fun. I mean, that is... As I told you when we were riding earlier or earlier with, you know, I, I, I was a little cautious on day two. Um, I, you know, I felt, I wouldn't say nervous, but like 
okay, I'm going to take this seriously, you know, like we don't yeah. know exactly There's what's coming. There's anticipation yeah, yeah, for something. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, treat it with the respect and the reverence mm. it deserves. You know, don't be a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And have a great time, man. Yeah. But it, this this wasn't hard. And I think the other thing we didn't talk about, um, I hesitate to bring it up, is the water situation. But it, it is, I think it's critical to talk about mm-hmm. what we did for water. Um, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so what we used last time too is a gravity filter and so we decided to use that this time it got pretty clogged with sediment we were still able to get water out but it was like a liter every hour and a half it seemed like which i think maybe it added a little bit to the experience you know you're really reliant on the environment do you feel like you're actually in a desert when your water it wasn't i mean we, we had enough water to drink but it wasn't an endless supply but i think I've been reevaluating the the gravity filter options to so trying to find some that are better with handling sediment because um, that is one of the big downsides of the, the Rio Grande water source we were using. But that is the big, that's the number one consideration if you're planning something out here is you've got to get that water right. Yeah, so we've um, done so. it. We've done it twice, uh, filtered water both times and um, no Giardia <laughs> so far. Nope, not yet. So, it's been two weeks, so we should be yeah, good. Yeah. We should, you told, I didn't know this, but uh, you told me on the trip it takes two weeks to kick in. Yeah, so, take, yeah a little bit of time. Uh, ish. <laughs> uh, so we're, uh, yeah, we should be out of the clear. I um, One of the ones, oh, you filtered it and we used the uh, iodine tablet. That's right. Yeah, micro Because yeah. the, what is it? What Micropure. A micropure tablet? Yeah, it's, it's a chlorine, yeah. actually. I Thank you. You didn't call me out for com- complaining about the water. Connor no, was not on the me, podcast. Oh man, you gotta call me out on the podcast. I'll call out myself, man. Connor gave me so much crap because I don't like the taste of the Rio Grande filtered. It's not good. I I agree with you. It's it's salty, um, but <laughs> there's not much you can do about it. No, except for complain a little bit, yeah. which Connor didn't have much of a palate for. I didn't have much palate for the water, and Connor didn't have much of a palate for my complaining. Yeah, it just didn't work out. Oh, <laughs> uh, but um, you know, my tip there, and Connor gave me shit about this too. But next time, I'm going to uh, bring um, and and a guy actually, the guy from Maine, I think, was the one who gave me some. Yeah, he gave me some flavor, like Propel uh, flavor water, and those were like lifesavers. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed those. I don't know. Judge me if you want to. All right, let's get off of here. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Connor. Mostly thanks to you. (laughs) Bye. All right, friends. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. Remember, head over to bikesfordeath.com. Check out the post for this episode. Uh, Lots of great pictures. Um, Personally, I think they're some of the best pictures I've ever taken. And I put up a really nice gallery there on the website if you'd like to enjoy those. Um, Also published are the two routes, our bike packing route from last year, our bike rafting route from this year, and the historical companion that Connor produced. So um, all that's available on the website. And looking forward, man, lots going on. Uh, you may have seen on Instagram that I impulse purchased a crust evasion. Fixie Dave was selling one and, uh, it was a good price. 
coming from a good dude. And uh, so I just pulled the trigger real quick without really thinking about it. But I mean, honestly, I've been looking at Crest bikes for a long time. They're just beautiful bikes. And um, yeah, right size, right timing. Um, so I got that bike being built up right now by Connor. Actually, Connor's my uh, mechanic at the local bike shop, Agland Cycling. Um, so he's uh, he's going to town on it today and hopefully getting that all built up for me because this weekend I'm going to be headed to New Mexico to join Jared Foster and his band of Adventure Media Bandits. That's not really what they're called. That's what I call them. But uh, you'll probably know by now that Jared Foster is a professor at Texas Tech University, and he teaches a course called Adventure Media, uh, where he takes, usually it's about 16 students who have usually zero experience camping or bikepacking or very little in the outdoors, you know, and so it's always uh, a really special trip to see people who are taken out of their comfort zone and and put into some challenging environments. And, you know, Jared's not pulling any punches. We're, we're doing 100 miles in the Lincoln National Forest, and um, they're going to be carrying their own gear, their water, setting up tents, making their food. I mean, they are self-supported bikepacking. It's a real deal. So um, no trick photography. Um, and, and this year is special because they're going to be focusing on mental health in the outdoors, which I was telling Jared, Jared last night that it's something that's really, really important to me. And to be honest, I haven't um, done as good of a job as I would have liked to talking about mental health in the outdoors. And um, so I'm looking forward to this trip. I think it's going to jumpstart um, hopefully many more uh, conversations about mental health and how we can use cycling and the outdoors as as a tool in in working through some of those things that we all deal with. Okay, well, let's get this one out the door in the can and on the airwaves for you fine folks. I don't know what next week's episode is. It might be that one with Jared Foster. Um, I had one this past weekend that um, I was supposed to record and it fell through. So uh, yeah, we're just flapping in the breeze out here. Hopefully we'll have one for you next week. But if not, uh, we'll get one out the week after. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. And don't forget to go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination? Merely folklore. Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh, death. <laughs>